0: This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting, and fishing radio on the AHP digital radio network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to AHP. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. Pleased to have you with us. Just wanted to thank all the Patreon supporters that support me on the show. Uh, For about five bucks a month, if you want to join the show, get all podcasts in advance of everyone else. You can join me on patreon.com forward slash AHP. I'd really appreciate it. I want to thank all the people that support me on Patreon. Uh, it goes a long way in uh, keeping these podcasts moving forward, so I do want to thank you for that. On today's show, we are actually crossing the Pacific Ocean all the way to Elmira in upstate New York in the United States, and we're actually going to be talking to Chuck and TVs, Eric Waite. Now, I've been talking to Eric for quite a while now, and he makes absolutely fantastic videos for YouTube. He does reviews. Uh, reloading obviously the name of his YouTube channel is chuck and TV so he spends a lot of his time shooting woodchucks with all different types of calibers, in my opinion, it's fantastic content. So if you want to jump on YouTube, just type in Chuck and TV, and his YouTube channel will come up. And one of the videos that he made that I really enjoyed was when he went deer hunting, and he was in this open field, and it was a drop a flop on the spot shot uh, on a deer, and I think the range was about seven hundred and twenty yards, like six hundred and ninety meters, and dropped on the spot deer. And just the excitement I saw uh, in his voice and his mate, they were just stoked at that shot, and a Literally, it was that video is why I decided to help him out on Patreon and become one of their Patreon supporters myself. And people have asked me before and said, Jason, you know, who do you support on Patreon? I support five content creators on Patreon. Now, one or two of them aren't firearms related, but majority of them are firearms related. And uh, I've got a couple here in Australia. Uh, Pete Skeet from South Africa is one of them, another guy from South Africa as well, uh, and another person from England. And uh, I think it's important to support content Creators that you know are making this awesome content, and I hate it. And I've said it before on a lot of podcasts, guys. I really hate when I see really good guys making just awesome content, and they stop making it because it's just not worth their while. And you know, I might have been watching their channel for a year, and I may not have been, say, a Patreon supporter or a supporter of their show. And it's really sad to see this awesome content go. So I love supporting people on Patreon. I, I hope they continue to keep making content because a lot of this content we are seeing on the interwebs is absolutely fantastic and they deserve to be rewarded for it so that's why i'm supporter of eric's chuck and tv on youtube and a few shows just recently we have been talking to people from overseas and i did get a few emails about that and people are really loving hearing all the different ideas and opinions on hunting and shooting from not just people in australia but from overseas and i think people that know me by now i don't pretty much discriminate against anybody i love to have everyone on the show doesn't matter if you're a youtuber doesn't matter if you're a podcaster doesn't matter where you're from what country you're from you know even if you're in a country that you know may not even have a huge amount of firearms rights or hunting i'd love to talk to you because i love talking to people overseas i love talking to people in australia i love hearing about their stories what they do whether it's whether they're content creators whether they're just hunters and shooters i love talking to them because it totally is a different perspective and uh, the podcast i just did with pete skeet just a couple of weeks ago from south africa was absolutely fantastic i mean i really enjoyed that show uh probably one of the better shows i've actually enjoyed for a while and uh yeah it was just great talking about yeah long range shooting what happens in south africa what sort of animals you can hunt in south africa Uh, it was absolutely fantastic so We're going to cross to Elmira in upstate New York, USA to talk to Eric. We're going to find out about what you can hunt there. We're going to find out what he likes to shoot, why he decided to make a YouTube channel. It's just going to be absolutely fantastic. So I think I should bring Eric onto the show. Eric Waite from Chuck and TV, thanks for joining me here on the Australian Hunting Podcast, mate. Great to have you as part of the show. Really enjoy your content on YouTube. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it, man.
1: Hey, I really appreciate you having me, man.
0: Excellent, man. First off, uh, tell us about yourself, man, where you're from. I've done a lot of podcasts just uh, recently with um, and over the years of of the podcast, talking to people in lots of different countries. Just did a guy in South Africa just a a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I've done a few people from the United States as well, England. So it's good to have someone from, uh, I guess, upstate New York having a chat to us here on AHP, man. So tell us a bit about yourself.
1: So, yeah, I uh, grew up in rural New York here. We're really into deer hunting, woodchuck hunting up here. You know, a lot of guys are into fox, coyote hunting, stuff like that. So, yeah, I grew up, uh, had firearms in the house growing up. We had twenty twos and shotguns and stuff like that. Uh, in our later years, they finally let us use centerfire rifles for deer season. So, got into that, got into reloading, and just – After a while, my cousin and I decided to start recording uh, hunting and stuff like that, and it just kind of took off from there. I mean, a few years ago, we were just compiling woodchuck hunts and just our really good kill shots, stuff like that. We found out or we figured out how to get into long-range shootings, and really, just started cranking out some videos. So, so yeah, chucking there. Just a couple of years ago, I really felt feel like it's taken off a little bit more. You know, we started putting out a lot more content. We ended up with a sponsor there a couple of years ago. Hooked me up with a six to twenty-four power Sightron S three scope. Just that, just that one thing there kind of got us motivated into keeping keeping our content flow going you know what i mean so
0: yeah man it sounds like a lot of fun now uh, what's the biggest what do you think the like when people are sort of hunting in your local area what's the most popular species to sort of hunt is it do people like hunting a lot of different things what's the most popular sort of species or animals to hunt in your area what do you think
1: white tailed deer bar none for sure like that's anybody you talk to around here that's it's all about deer hunting so i mean you get a really short season doing that, but that's definitely the most popular uh season of the year for sure.
0: How long's the season uh for deer hunting? How long are you able to hunt deer for? Cuz obviously you're there in upstate New York, so it probably gets I'm guessing a little bit cold up there and you get probably a lot of snow, so it must, you know, stop you from doing a lot of hunting throughout that uh you know, winter season cuz it's just it's just too cold in being able to get outside.
1: Yeah, um our archery season starts our archery season starts October 1st all the way through October 31st and then there's a crossbow season for the ter- first two weeks of November and then after that there's about 3 weeks of rifle season and then we get a muzzleloader season for 8 days after all that so we actually get a pretty good window to, uh, hunt deer in I mean obviously archery season's the longest season so and I just recently got into archery myself I don't I, I don't have any videos on it but for for sure my cousin Garrett's really into it uh, of course a lot of people around here are into that so I I mean I'm more of a rifle shooter myself for sure definitely moving towards doing more archery type stuff but yeah that's not really the focus of my channel so I just don't show that I don't show that sort of thing, but I, w-
0: I was going to talk to you about like when you were younger, how did you get into firearms? Was your you know parents into firearms? Did you have any brothers or sisters that were in firearms? I mean, how did you get into it actually growing up?
1: Well, I was growing up. My dad was uh, kind of into firearms to-, to some degree. You know, we-, we were only allowed to hunt with shotguns there back a few years ago. So that's pretty much all he had. He had a, He had a 12-gauge shotgun and a two forty three, And, of course, when I was young, I was shooting twenty two, stuff like that. Um, Yeah, just when I got into my late 18 years, I finally got around to buying my first rifle. I never really was a serious shooter there for the longest time. I think it was really when my cousins got into hand-loading themselves is when I got really serious about it because I just saw the potential of – you know, being able to shoot under inch groups at a hundred yards. And I was just like, all right, this is really cool. And we finally had the capability to take deer, you know, past a hundred yards, you know, using a centered fire rifle instead of a 12 gauge slug. So, you know, I kind of got into it that way. I just had a few friends that were into shooting and stuff like that. And that's just what, uh, that's just kind of what got me into it. Now, now, obviously I'm into it more than most people are. I have a YouTube channel dedicated to it and the whole long range aspect was something that I guess I never really expected to get into so much. But uh, yeah, my first rifle there's a single shot 243, the CVA Scout. And I had that Redfield scope on it. And that has that you know, it has an adjustable turret on it and all that stuff. For some reason, somehow I found out, you know, how I could actually dial that turret in to shoot, you know, X distance. And rather than doing your guessing holdover, a lot of people call it Kentucky windage around here
2: where you're like, all right, well, I got to hold
1: 12 inches high to hit this deer at 300 yards or whatever. And I just thought I, I got to where I was getting damn close to hitting woodchucks, you know. 300 400 yards with this little single shot um after that i decided to get really serious about it so i bought my tika t3 300 wind mag threw a better red field on it that's the 6 to 18 power and then just all of a sudden i started connecting you know i started connecting shots 400 500 600 yards with that thing so after that you know i just got really passionate about it I said, this is something really special,
2: you know. Renowned for their strength, reliability and attention to detail, Moroku shotguns are the perfect example of what a sporting shotgun should be. Moroku have been producing quality products for over a century and sold in Australia since 1963. Each Moroku shotgun is crafted with precision, from the MK Trap and sporting models to the all-round best-selling field shotgun, the MK70. Visit morokushotguns.com.au for more details and stockists. Absolutely. I want to talk about, you just mentioned that. I find that very
0: interesting. I know there was, now you can correct me if I'm wrong because I don't know 100% about this. Was there either years ago restrictions on using centre fire rifles in New York State? Is that correct? Or can you tell me a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I kind of touched on that a little bit, but uh, I'm trying to think how long ago this was. This was probably good, I want to say 15 years ago. Yeah, probably about 15 years ago. We were, for deer hunting, it was uh, shotgun only or muzzleloader only for, uh, for, you know, your gun season. A lot of people, a lot of people were opting for the muzzleloader because you know if you're good with a muzzleloader, you can reach out two hundred yards with them, no problem. is you know, the modern ones. But yeah, I mean, rifles were never restricted as far as like varmint hunting and stuff like that goes. Oh, okay, yep.
0: Yeah, I was wondering because I thought that's interesting. Imagine if you couldn't, you know, use a center f- you can only use like a centerfire rifle for like three months of the year or something like that. I thought, wow, even for the U.S., that's kind of crazy. But no, you can still use um, all your centerfire rifles for your varmint hunting. Is that correct?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't think that was like a U.S. law by any means. That was de- that's definitely something for New York, using shotguns only for deer. As far as other states are concerned now, I know Ohio, they're still shotgun only. And then they just recently or they just recently allow you to use rifles with straight load cartridges. So like, say, my CBA 44 Magnum with the pistol round, you could use that legally in Ohio now.
0: I wonder what's their reasoning for that. What? Why can't you hunt like deer with centerfire rifles? I mean, New York for an example. Even before you know, New York State, it's a pretty big state. Like, there's no, I don't think there's any chance of shooting someone. I mean, I think it's a bit silly, isn't it?
1: Uh no. I think yeah. I mean, I think the main reason was is to kind of conserve the population a little bit. So they didn't want people to have the capability to shoot longer distances i mean i don't know exactly the reasoning why but if i had to guess that's probably why
0: what about your friends mate in in elmira new york i mean you obviously live in a small community i think i was looking at it today there's about thirty thousand people there and i was looking at some of the photos and it looks like you've got a big sort of little river running through the the sort of middle of town with a couple of bridges going over the top looks like a quite a nice place do you hunt with any friends in your local area
1: Oh, yeah. Well, a couple of buddies of mine from work uh, come out hunting with me every now and then. I've got videos of them. So, you know, every now and then, you know, I I just say, hey, man, let's uh, let's go head out and do some hunting. Now, I'm not from Elmira. This is just where I live right now. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm from a rural town out this way and I drive out there usually on the weekends to, you know, go shoot go shoot woodchucks or go shoot my other videos or whatever it is. So, uh, yeah, yeah, Elmira is definitely not like, oh, what do I want to say? Elmira is not like a uh, big hunting type of town, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly, yeah.
0: I was going to say, what about, like, you know, when you're obviously going out, you like to shoot wood sharks, deer hunting, long-range shooting, but what about any of the other sports? Do you just get into any, like, you know, pistol shooting, you know, rifle range shooting, shotgun shooting, or clay targets, or anything like that?
1: Uh, Every now and then, you know, we'll we'll, uh, do a little mess around with uh, doing some clay pigeon shooting and stuff like that. Yeah, other than that, I mean, I'll shoot a handgun anytime I get a chance to, because that's just that's just plain fun. Uh, I don't have my uh, pistol permit here in New York, so so yeah, my my uh, pistol experience is somewhat limited for sure.
0: What's the what's the situation like in New York with – now, I know I've, I've talked to a lot of different people from a lot of different states in the U.S. about concealed carry and that. What's the situation with, like, concealed carry permits in New York? Is it um, take a lot to get? Is it easy? Or I think from what I've been seeing on the news, they're, they're really clamping down on, on gun laws in New York.
1: Uh, yeah. So in order to get a concealed carry license here in New York, you do have to have a license – um, it usually takes about three to six months, depending on what county you're going through. You have to put your application in, get a thumbprint, and then after, oh, yeah, and then you have to have three references. So, what happens after that is that the sheriff's office will call those references up, they'll call you up, and then they also do like a face to face interview with you. And then from there, you know they they will deny you or give you the the concealed carry permit. And then after that, you know uh, every handgun you buy here in New York, you have to go and get registered. But yeah, that's it. That's that. I mean, I think you got to don't quote me on it, but I think you got to renew the license every few years or so. Oh,
0: it's interesting you were talking about when you purchased one of your rifles there, the 300 Win Mag. Now, when you were purchasing that, was that to hunt deer or you just think, I'm just going to go big banger and (laughs) use a 300 Win Mag on (laughs) on the woodchucks? (laughs) 300 Win Mag on the
1: woodchucks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so my earlier videos there, I was using a 300 Win Mag for literally everything, deer, woodchucks, but mainly like I was, I was shooting woodchucks. Of course, everybody's like, Oh, that's way too much for them. But, uh, <laughs> look, my, my thought, my thought behind it was is if I can get really good with this rifle, then I can get good behind pretty much anything. You know what I mean? Like handling the recoil, all that stuff. But I also wanted something that I knew I could really reach out and touch something with, um, the, the deer hunting Or my deer hunting ground is, uh, really long range really i mean it's a pretty pretty wide open fields there's a variety of wide open field plus a lot of thick timber and stuff and i just i've always thought like if i see a buck of a lifetime standing on top of that hill i want to be able to hit him for sure so i mean woodchucks are kind of a means to practicing and getting you know my equipment dialed in and just being confident when i to take a bigger animal like that. Like, I'd want to be, be able to make that ethical shot, you know what I mean?
0: What do you think about the GRS stocks? I've got one myself. I think you've got one. Is that the one you've got on your 7mm rim mag, or is that the 300 rim mag, the GRS berserk stock? Because I'm a big fan of those. I do quite like them myself.
1: Uh, yeah, that's uh that's on my 7mm uh, mag, the Tika T3. Pretty excellent, man. I, I love the way that offset pistol grip is is super comfortable the adjustable length of pole and cheek rise man I, I just I definitely love that man like that's a that's a big game changer because a lot of these you know I'm a big guy too like I'm six foot three so a lot of these uh, standard length rifles and length of poles don't necessarily fit me quite properly I mean they're fine for hunting but like when it comes to really precision shooting having that adjustability is a uh, it's a pretty big deal to me. So
0: you were talking about your your tika there. Uh, I want to find out. Did you put? Is that a sporter uh, barrel or is it a heavy varmint barrel on your seven mil mag?
1: So uh, actually, all three of my tikas or all my tikas are just the T three lights. Actually, the seven mil the seven millimeter is a T uh, three hunter, which is basically the same. You know, that's the, that's the sporter weight barrel on that as well.
0: Yeah, I know, I noticed you've been using and I've it's interesting too because I go through a lot of different, you know, bullet manufacturers as well. And I think were you using the 143 grain ELDX because I've had some pretty good results with those in in my 260. Now I think you've also got looking at your videos here the 6.5 Creedmoor as well. So what are you liking in bullet manufacturers? I see you using you've used a bit of Hornady, you've used a bit of Sierra as well, which I do as well. What are you what are you getting good results with
1: um really i mean i haven't come across any real bullet that's uh disappointed me so far i mean mainly i shoot hornady uh basically for the price you know like the the elds there for the longest time they're about thirty dollars a box for a hundred of them well now they're starting to jack the price up on them but uh anyway yeah hornady's have been great uh the sierra game changer has been really good for the 6.5 millimeter, that is. Um, oh, what else? Uh, and of course, I got to give my hats off to the uh, the Nosler Varmageddon. That's what I had been running in my 243, the 70 grain for the 243, and the uh, 53 grain Varmageddon for the 22 Those have been excellent bullets and reasonably priced. Uh, if you, if you get into some of the other Nozzler bullets, they can get a little bit pricey because they sell them by the box of 50 and they run about, I want to say about 30, $40 for a box of 50, uh, here in the States. So yeah, they can get a little pricey, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't like, uh, I'm not real biased towards any one company or the other, man. I just, uh, I try a little bit of everything and see what works for me see what doesn't. And,
0: I remember when, uh, this is when I became a Patreon supporter, I think. I think I saw, or when I saw your video anyway. You, you shot the, I think it was a 7mm Magnum and, on the white tail. And I think it was, I think you and you I think it was you and Garrett in the video. And I think you, in earlier in the video, you shot a deer at I think maybe a couple of hundred yards or something like that. And then it was the last end of the video where you shot the deer at like 630 yards, man, on the spot. Dropped stone dead, and <laughs> I remember when I saw your reaction, and you were you guys were fist pumping, and this, that's what that video is the reason I became a Patreon supporter, man.
1: Oh, that's awesome, man! I I mean, dude, that that was one of my best memories for sure. Um, yeah, so that was my seven mil mag. Uh That was that was the year I had the sponsor, Doug Doug's Optics and Outdoors. Unfortunately, I don't think he's in business anymore. I haven't. <laughs> I haven't been in contact with him, and his website's down. So, I mean, dude, he was a really nice guy anyway. hooked me up with that scope. Uh, Yeah, so that was the same year I put on the GRS stock. I I was really focused on that 7 mil mag. So when I took that 630-yard shot on that deer, man, I was really comfortable behind it. I already knew there wasn't any wind that day. You know, if it was real windy or anything like that, I wouldn't have bothered with that shot for sure. But yeah, by uh I mean, I was just ecstatic when uh, Garrett just like, dude, you dropped her.
0: Yeah, stone dead on the spot, man. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so yeah, I mean, like that that was my furthest year, you know, to that point. Before that, I already shot, you know, wood shots at 500, 600 yards. Now, a woodchuck is, I would say a big woodchuck is a, roughly the size of the kill zone of a deer. So if you're hitting a woodchuck, you, you're going to be able to reliably put down a deer, for sure.
0: What do you think? I just saw one of your videos again about a year ago. The I bought a 260 Remington in Ticker, but you bought the 6.5 Creedmoor. Give us your thoughts on the 6.5 Creedmoor. Are you enjoying it?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. and. Obviously, bought it in a Tika format because I, I've already had the 300 mag before that. I have the 7mm mag, and of course, they're all sporter barrels. So, yeah, I mean, I was kind of holding out for longer. I was about to buy one of the CTRs that has the heavy barrel on it, but I just couldn't quite muster up, you know, the $1,000 that one of those costs. I was waiting for their hunting model to come out. Sure enough, they did. Tika in the light-barreled 6.5, I mean, it's been a great combination of just really good accuracy, lightweight, being able to carry it around. Yeah, just playing around with different hand loads and stuff, too, man, I haven't been disappointed. I mean, a bad group in that gun might be an inch and a half, but a lot of times you can expect inch and under, sometimes half-inch groups out of it. So, I mean, you can't really ask too much more out of a lightweight, you know, hunting you know, a lightweight hunting platform for sure. So, definitely a big fan of Tika here.
0: What are you? Interestingly enough, I've I've got a couple of tickers as well. I'm a bit of a fan like you are. And I've noticed too that you buy a lot of the sporter barrels. What? Is that just due to the expense? Because, I mean, it seems like a lot of shooting that you do is not really. A lot of walking around, you know. You're pretty much just pull up, go into a field, and shoot. Have you considered the heavy barrel? I Men, they heat up a bit less. Um, you know, the maybe a bit better groups out of them, maybe a bit easier to tune with, you know, the right bullet and the right load. So, is it, or is it more just, you know, the 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 T3 lights in the blue are just a bit more cheaper and a bit more economical for you?
1: Oh uh, well, for one, it's definitely definitely the price for sure. Two. Is just the versatility of them because I mean obviously I'm connecting these shots with a lightweight sporter barrel so it's kind of a you know it's kind of a combination of being able to shoot long range but I also you know I do like to pack light a lot of times even when I'm woodchuck hunting you know I'm carrying I'm carrying the rifle the camera on a tripod and sandbag and stuff like that so I mean uh, I will definitely say now that I have two heavy barreled uh, savages there. The heavy barrel definitely helps you keep stable and everything. But in the long run, you know, a lot of my hunting situations do take place right there in the woods. And, it, you know, it's a matter of being able to carry the stuff around. Like, I can't be hauling around with a 12-pound rifle for sure. So,
0: What about uh, – it's interesting because I was looking at, again, more of your videos here, and I've gone through them all, and I'm enjoying them. Uh, you started getting into the 7mm Magnums at one stage, you know, the big guns for – uh, you know woodchucks, but what what do you like about the seven mil magnum compared to other calibers? I mean, you can pretty much you know knock them down with something smaller, you know. But you, you chose the seven mm really just to clean them up really good. So, what was the reason for using the se- the seven mil mag?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, really. I mean, out, out of any of the calibers that I use, the seven mil mag, three hundred mag, you know, the, those heavier those heavier bullets definitely buck the wind. A uh, hell of a lot better for one, but uh, yeah, our, ma- our main purpose of shooting shooting these big calibers at woodchucks really is to just practice for deer season. Like we really want to know that those, you know, that our our deer hunt rifles are squared away so we can make those ethical shot on deer. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just have, you have a bigger margin of error when you're using a big rifle like that, you know, even if you put a bad shot on a woodchuck, you know, you hit him a little far back, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kill them quick. And that's that's one thing, like, we want to make the most ethical shots that we can here, put them down quick because we're not out to make animals suffer for sure. Now, when you put one of those 7 mils or a 300 mag through a deer, uh, you know, a deer's spoiling room, you know, at 300, 400 yards, you don't have to worry about that deer going anywhere. Like, it's going to drop on the spot, and it's a good, quick, clean kill.
0: If you had to pick one favorite caliber that you own, what would it be?
1: Oh, man. Um,
0: I've put him on I the spot. Say, <laughs> man,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. I'd hate to say six five Creedmoor because that's like you know that's everybody's go to bullshit round. But yeah, I, yeah, I gotta go with the six five to be honest with you. Um, I mean, hey, you know, if I had a two sixty or the six five fifty five Swedish Mauser, you know, I'd be perfectly happy with those two. I think it's just a good balance of you know overall power, but light recoil great long range potential you know like it's just a good all the way around caliber for sure now for varmints if, if we're just strictly talking woodchucks all the way up to maybe coyotes or something like that um i'm i'm taking my 22 250 all day man like that the 22 250 to me is one of the best calibers out there um you're launching a 53 grain bullet I'm getting about 3,500 feet per second, 3,700 uh, feet per second with a different power load. But either way, I mean, the, the, it's just such an accurate round. Um, if you're not into dialing the scope in for long range, you really don't have that much drop. Say you're zeroed at 100 yards, you're, all, you're still only dropping about six inches at 300 yards, which for all practical purposes, most people don't shoot that far anyway, so it's nice to have that nice short-range, you know, flat trajectory. And really, a 22-250, i got to say, it's one of my favorite favorite rounds now that I've been shooting it here for about a year or so.
0: I've been considering trying to get a, a 22-250, either a 204 or a 22-250. I'm not 100% sure yet, but... Uh... I've got all these guns I want to buy, and I just don't have enough money to buy them yet.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, Um, I mean, dude, I I own so many different calibers now. Um, A lot of it is because I, you know, I'm running a YouTube channel. I'm trying to create content. So, you know, people who know me are just like, oh, man, you're buying another gun? Like, oh, you're buying another gun? But, I mean, dude, I, I just love it. Like all, all these different calibers, they definitely have, you know, their place and they have their niche. And it's just kind of fun to go out, test them out, and uh, really just see what they're capable
0: of. What's your favorite game to hunt? Is it the woodchuck, deer? What's your number one favorite game?
1: I've got to say, man, wood, uh, woodchuck hunting for me is like my favorite time of the year, you know, getting out in the springtime, all throughout the summer. Yeah, it's just a lot of fun, man. You get a lot more shooting in. It's just a lot more action packed. You know, you're you're lucky deer. I love shooting deer too, but like you get, you'd be lucky if you get two deer tags for you know your regular rifle season. And you know, you just shoot your two deer, and that's it. Like you're done for the whole year. So after that, you know, it's just fun to be able to get out, do some small game hunting. I do get into a little bit of squirrel and fox and uh coyote uh here and there you know like i don't really film it a whole lot but i get into it here and there i'd like to get into it a lot more for sure
0: when is generally your woodchuck i mean do you have a season on woodchuck or you can hunt woodchucks all year round or i guess it gets pretty cold up there in new york and you get a lot of snow on the ground so when do you do majority of your of your woodchuck hunting
1: there's not a set season on uh woodchucks It's basically woodchuck season starts when you see one and it ends when you pull the trigger. So so, uh, woodchucks are out basically from the spring on uh, maybe mid-fall or so. It starts getting cold out. They basically go into hibernation.
2: The Australian Hunting Podcast is the only hunting, shooting, and fishing podcast radio show in Australia. With over 40,000 downloads per month, you are sure to find some information that can help you. If you love hunting, shooting, fishing, and a little bit of politics, the Australian Hunting Podcast has you covered. To listen, check us out on iTunes and visit australianhuntingpodcast.com.au.
0: What about when there's snow on the ground? Are you able to go out when there's snow on the ground or is it just way too cold to go shooting when there's too much snow on the ground?
1: Well, I don't. I usually don't let that hold me up too much. and Actually, this last year since uh, it started snowing early, which is great actually for hunting deer because, well, for one, it makes them stick out like a sore thumb. Uh, we're always just hoping, we're hoping for snow by the time rifle season comes around. During the winter months, say about January through February, that's when small game season still open so you can still get out, uh, shoot squirrels and fox and uh, any other sort of small game we got here, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I I love getting out when it, when there's snow on the ground when it's uh, you know 20 degrees and basically just dress warm and go for it. You know, I I did a couple videos earlier this year actually, first time ever where we were out there just shooting targets at 300 yards. We we're out there just shooting right out in the wide open field. And there's snow on the ground, and everything. I mean, I'm wearing big Carhartt jacket and uh, <laughs> and everything.
0: So, <laughs> is that the was that the TC Compass?
1: Uh, no, no, not that, not that time. It wasn't. I I did a accuracy test with my twenty two two fifty at the time. Actually, I invested in some uh, steel plate targets, went out and set them up, and so yeah. I mean, I wanted to I wanted to keep my practice up. You know, through those months, usually I don't, but like this year, I just really got into. You know, I was like, you know what? I really want to create some content, and I really want to keep my uh, practice up with this twenty-two two-fifty. So that way, when it comes time to uh, take down some woodchucks, you know, I'm ready. So,
0: when you've got so many guns in the safe and you're about to go out hunting, you start looking at all these guns and you think, shit, which one do I take, man? Which one do you normally? Which one do you normally go and grab?
1: Boy, it, yeah, it's a, it's always a hard choice for sure. Really, I mean, just just from a content creating uh sort of aspect, I I tend to try to tr- uh, bring out something different every time. Uh but yeah, it's all it's all I'm always scratching my head just wondering, you know, which one of these guns am I going to bring out next. I have been gravitating a lot more towards the Savage 110 250 now I have the Savage one ten six five, so I've been playing around with that. Uh, I'm really just you know concentrated on getting those two rifles really dialed in for long range. They're definitely got the most potential out of the two uh, out of any of the guns that I have. But yeah, I mean they're, some of the other guns I have here pretty much already know where they're at, and I can you know I just know what to expect from them. So like. Uh, my 7 mil Mag, for example, now, like, I, I shoot that out, off and on, but I pretty much know where it's at. Like, that that gun's going to be good for next deer season for sure.
0: I was looking at another one of your videos, too, prairie dog hunting. Now yeah, I know that's pretty popular in the U.S. Uh, do you get a lot of prairie dogs uh, up where you are? And if so, what do you prefer, prairie dog hunting or woodchuck hunting? Big question for you. Uh,
1: okay, so a little bit of a story behind the prairie dog hunting there. Uh, My cousin Garrett, who's basically my right-hand man when it comes to this chucking stuff, you know, we grew up together. You know, he's been filming my hunts, and Garrett's been filming my hunts throughout the years. He got a job actually filming for Huntline TV and actually ended up moving out to Missouri. So when those guys were out there, those guys went out to New Mexico, actually out on an elk hunt. Just when they had some downtime, they went out and did some prairie dog hunting. So, uh, yeah, prairie dogs are a uh uh midwestern species. We don't get them around here here in new york uh they're more in the area of like uh i think uh, north and South Dakota or like the bigger bigger states that uh people go to to go hunt them. by the way, I do want to give a shout out to uh cave dweller nineteen fifty nine there he's uh big into he's a youtube channel he's big into
0: yeah, I watch him too he's got some he's got some great hunts yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, so you've seen his stuff, huh?
0: Yeah, absolutely, the old guy with the long beard.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really cool, really cool guy. So, yeah, I mean, dude, I, I would love to go out and do that. I've never had the opportunity to go out uh, prairie dog hunting, but from what I understand, there's just so many of them. You pretty much got to bring a small caliber. Like, even if I brought my 22250 250 to go do it, There'd be so many of them that my barrel would basically be overheating.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, you might but have to it, you might have to move out of Elmira, New York.
1: Yeah, so if I'm not much of a traveler, man, but if I, if I had the opportunity to go anywhere, it'd be going out west. You know, hunting elk. And uh prairie dogs, man, that would, that would just be a blast for sure.
0: You might have to head out you know, just leave Elmira, get another job in the west, man, and never look back man. You can hunt you know everything you want. Prairie dogs, you you'd just go crazy, you'd love it.
1: Yeah, another another species that we're, we're talking about woodchucks here. Um, another species out west is the Rockchuck and they're a lot more numerous than woodchucks are. They're pretty uh, woodchucks are pretty sporadic really. Usually, it takes me maybe oh, I want to say on a good day if I hunt for a good three four hours I'd be lucky if I shoot maybe seven of them. You know what I mean? Like that's a really good day of of uh, woodchuck hunting. You know I go, I go around to different properties, check them out, permission on different farmland and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, but I mean woodchuck hunting takes a lot of time. But like I watch some uh, content on YouTube. You know, these guys hunting rock chucks and stuff like that, and they basically just go set up in the desert somewhere, and these animals are just everywhere, basically.
0: It's it's crazy. I mean, when I watch some of these, uh, you know, woodchuck videos, I can exactly see why they shoot out a barrel. I mean, there's just so many of them. You just, the barrel would heat. You'd have to use a varmint barrel because you'd you'd just heat up the barrel so much. You'd just kill your barrel in a short amount of time. Oh, absolutely it's interesting too eric when you know like when people think you know especially when you're running youtube channels like yourself and you we do a lot of reloading and you reload i reload as well i reload more for the the accuracy benefits but when you when you are buying a lot of different rifles especially in different calibers i mean your prices really go up people don't realize that well you've got to have maybe different types of primers you've got to have different types of powders you've got to load up on projectiles for an example i mean all this costs money it is quite expensive, uh, especially when you start getting into multiple different calibers. But uh, have you have you suffered the same fate as me when you buy multiple different calibers with a lot of different expenses?
1: Oh, uh, yeah, man. It, it, definitely, it definitely gets expensive. I definitely wouldn't be able to shoot as much as I do if I didn't reload, though. Just for example, I mean, if I was going to run out and buy factory ammo for my 7mm mag, you're looking at $30 a box for just, you know, your run of the mill, soft point ammo. But yeah, uh, I mean, every caliber, basically every caliber I shoot, I hand load for, uh, you're looking at, you know, here in the States, you're looking at about uh, 30 40 maybe even $50, you know, just for your die set. You're looking at about thirty dollars a pound of your powder and depending on the caliber you know you you're gonna get somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 170 shots out of that pound of powder you're looking at bullets yeah just everything i mean yeah it, it gets pricey but uh, it's definitely it definitely ends up saving you money in the long run especially when you're talking about you know your bigger caliber seven mil mag 300 mag i i figure i'm I'm shooting about $0.70 cents a shot when I shoot when I hand load for them compared to, you know, your $1. fifty a shot. And, yeah, um, definitely uh, hand loading there gives you the opportunity to really dial in a good load and get the best accuracy possible. Um, I won't talk down on factory ammo. Like, yeah, it's probably – just as consistent as your hand loads are, but the problem is is that you have to really tune that load in the tailor it to your gun so you know one factory load might shoot better than another uh just based on what the bullet ogive is what their seating depth is you know you got to find something that's gonna go well with the barrel basically you know like your barrel's basically a tuning fork with the harmonics so when you, when you hand load, you can adjust that powder load, you can adjust the seating depth, and you can just really find that spot where that barrel, you know, that bullet's leaving the barrel at exactly the same spot every time.
0: True. I was, talk- I was thinking about it. I was just actually doing some reloading just the other day, and, uh, you know, I use a difference of, like, electronic scales. I think I've got a Lyman Gen 6, but I've also got some RCBS balance beam scales. What do you go for, electronic or balance beam?
1: All right. So, um, yeah, I, I use a digital scale for just getting getting me in the neighborhood. A lot of times for my stick powders and stuff, I, I use a, a, the RCBS uh, volume thrower. And now with ball powders and pistol powders, you know, for my 44 mag, it comes out of that volume thrower very consistently. And I don't have to worry so much, so I just use my, my digital scale. But when I switch over to my stick powder, like reorder 16, H4350, uh, stuff like that, it doesn't pack the same way in a volume like, uh, like that ball powder does. So anyway, what I'll do is I'll get that volume thrower calibrated to just throw just under my desired charge. I'll throw it on my digital scale. But I also have uh, the RCBS, I think it's the 505, I want to say. Yeah, it's the 505. Throw it up on there, and I use a trickler just to really dial that up in. And so with that beam scale, I can really tell, like, every little flake of powder that drops into that pan, I can watch that full uh, beam move up, you know, so – that, that's my preferred way. So I do use both. I use my digital scale to kind of get me close and just to verify what's coming off of my uh, my beam scale.
0: Exactly. I, know, I do the same thing. Sometimes I use the Lyman Gen 6. And then, you know, sometimes I'm not saying it's inaccurate, definitely not inaccurate. But it's just sometimes it throws under, sometimes it throws over it's just can be a little bit annoying at times but it is a little bit faster but then if you've got a powder thrower or example i've actually had really good success just using those i think it's from the brand lee the lee loader cups you know the little cup scoops and you use the cup scoops and you, yeah i mean i I can get it down to be pretty quick these days and i think just that balance beam scale not that it's more accurate i don't know i just feel like it's a bit more of a, a precision instrument than say the electronic ones could be wrong but I do like using both, so...
1: Yeah, the thing I really like about the beam scale is just you get that instant feedback. You know, like I find a lot of times, and I've used, like, more expensive scales when I when I used to only reload at my uncle's house. He had a nice uh, Dylan electronic scale. The thing is with them is that they don't seem to like having a small amount of weight put on them at any one given time, you know what I mean? Like, you put two or three flakes it'll just sit there it'll just be like okay what's this It, it takes it takes about you know a tenth of a like you you almost want to put in a tenth of a grain at a time so that way it just reads it instantly now with beam scale like i said i can just sit there and trickle in one or two flakes of powder and i can see the thing moving so you get like instant feedback on it which is really nice and, I mean, obviously, I don't have problems, you know, I, I do load testing videos, and, like, you, you can just tell, like, I, the, the powder's coming out consistent every single time, you know.
0: When I was on the, I had a bit of a pros and cons with both of them initially, like, and you're right with the electronic ones. I noticed when I used to, like, it might throw under like the the load that I want. So I'd give just a little tube, a little bit of a tap and I'd drop a little bit more powder in and you're right, it wouldn't even make a difference. It wouldn't even go up. But what I found really works is when you tap it and a little bit of powder falls into the bowl on the electronic scales, I've actually got to lift it off the scale and put it back on to actually register the, the correct load. So that's, that's what I found actually works because you can keep trickling in and sometimes, not that it gets stuck on a certain powder charge, but it just seems to, if you pull it off and you put it back on, it actually makes a huge difference. But then on the flip side too, Eric, I also know with the um, RCBS, I think my powder balance beam scales, it's actually got a magnetic dampener in the balance beam scales. So when you actually get up to where you're close to your load, when you're actually Trickling sometimes that doesn't move either because the magnetic dampener inside the inside the actually RCBs like it's actually holding it there. So sometimes you just got to give that balance beam scale just a little bit of a a a tap because I remember one time I was trickling in and I'm trickling I'm trickling it's not moving I'm trickling and I thought this can't be right what on earth's going on here then I just gave the beam a bit of a, a tap and then all of a sudden it read really high so. Obviously, that magnetic dampener. So if anyone out there is listening to uh, this show and they're having an issue with the RCBS, I think it's the M500 or the 505, whichever one's got the magnetic dampener. If you are trickling and it's not moving, just give the pendulum just a little bit of a a touch so you get that moving again, and then it reads correctly. So just a bit of a tip for uh, anyone listening there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, it's kind of... You know what actually really got me into like listening to your stuff here on the podcast was, man, I forget his name now, but uh, you had a guy on that you were talking, you know, reloading and stuff with him. And really like, I, uh, I had no idea that people in Australia were even really into reloading. So, I mean, it's really cool that you guys, you know, on the other side of the world are basically doing the same thing that, we're doing here in the states so that's pretty uh that's definitely
2: pretty cool man looking for outdoor equipment for your next adventure at aussie outdoor gear you can find cooking equipment camo clothing for kids backpacks camo accessories and much more we cater for your hunting fishing camping hiking and other outdoor pursuits with our unique product range aussieoutdoorgear.com.au quality gear at affordable prices
0: I was just out just, I think it was about a week and a half ago. I just got a 260 Remington Ticker Varmint in stainless steel, probably about, you know, five, six months ago. And I took out the 143 grain ELDX. And man, that thing is just, it is on fire at the moment. I mean, quarter inch groups at, you know, at a hundred meters. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. That thing's a tack driver. I mean, for a factory rifle, I really can't get any better than basically average quarter inch or point three inch groups at a hundred meters. I mean, it's just crazy with those one forty three. So I can't wait to get it out, shoot some deer, maybe long range, or shoot some varmints at long range. I reckon it's going to be freaking awesome.
1: No kidding. So, um, uh, what would what would be your, uh, your your equivalent to maybe shooting woodchucks? What do you guys do in Australia as far as like varmint uh,
0: hunting? Pretty much for us, obviously, we've got uh, the red fox here in Australia as well. I know you guys over there have got the red fox and the grey fox. We've only got the red one. Uh, normally, man, pretty much we've got rabbits. So we, a lot of rabbits, we can hunt rabbits, especially if you've got like a rabbit warren. Sometimes you can it can almost be as good as like, you know, um, prairie dog hunting because, you know, rabbits are really overbreeding over here in Australia. If you really get a good piece of land, that's got, like, a lot of rabbit warrens on it. Man, you can just go crazy, dude. It's, it's, it's insane. Um, but rabbits, hares, but, you know, hares are few and far between, but that's generally sort of our major sort of ground-dwelling animals. Really rabbits, foxes, hares. We've got pigs uh, boars, whatever you want to call them over there in the U.S., uh, we've got deer as well. We've got a lot of deer species over here. I just shot a deer probably about a couple of, about a month or so ago. Yeah, we got heaps of game, man. Like pretty similar to you guys except for the ground dwelling stuff. Like you guys got the woodchucks, squirrels, you know, you've got rock chucks as well, those sort of things. We don't have those over here, so
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I noticed uh I watch uh I watched another guy there, um, in South Africa, the the uh air arms channel and they get into Shooting ground squirrels and stuff like that, so I mean uh man, I really enjoy just watching you know all these all these different hunting channels from around the world, different parts of this uh, even the states here you know like, we got so many different animals out there you know go out there and shoot yeah ground squirrels and and prairie dogs, you know you go out west of the states here that's really big here in the states uh the those i mean those animals are numerous, like I said, you could literally turn your barrel out shooting shooting those <laughs> uh the woodchucks or groundhogs, as some people call them uh yeah i mean it's a bit bit more sporadic here so like even when i'm hand loading like i really do focus on that cold barrel shot like i want a good hunting load you know like uh so you know like even if you're only shooting inch groups you know as long as your first one as long as your first shots within you know, uh, you know, a fraction of an inch of your desired bullseye or whatever, you know. A lot of times, they'll get you by just fine, you know. like uh, You don't really have to worry so much about, like, heat straining and stuff like that when you're out hunting woodchucks and stuff.
0: How do you go when you buy, you know, your Sporter rifles and that, and you've got the 7mm Mag and 300 win Mag now, if I'm correct. I've been looking at, obviously, a lot of your videos. You don't really use... Uh, A muzzle brake or anything like that? I think you got one on the 6.5. I think the Mech Force enforcer muzzle brake you had on there, but if that's the one I'm actually thinking about, that's correct. Um, how how, how, How do you get so accurate with, you know, like heavy caliber rifles without using a muzzle brake because i find even on the 260 remington (laughs) you know it's only a 6.5 but i really the only reason i decided to put the muzzle brake on it was because i really wanted to see those shots through the scope you know and i've did a bit of filming too i think you've seen my channel too i've filmed a lot of rabbits at, at sort of long range shooting and stuff but i need to be able to see the hit before i was doing that i noticed if i was shooting and i didn't have the muzzle brake on i would just lose that sight picture just enough so I wasn't even sure if I actually hit it or not so I'd have to go back to the DSLR video footage to actually see whether I or how far away I was or whatever it may be so how do you how do you combat that on the heavy recoil calibers without a muzzle brake?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's pretty much the same thing even, even my uh, Tika light my T- T3 light 6.5 I mean that thing's going to throw me off, you know unless I'm shooting about 500, 600 yards you know, I won't have time to uh, get back on the sight picture and see where I hit before that bullet actually gets there. So, I mean, a lot of times, man, I have to go back and view my footage. You know, of course, I'm using, you know, a camcorder, so I have to look through this footage on a little 9-inch screen, not even a 9-inch, a 4-inch screen and try to spot where where I hit on the camera and compensate from there. So, I mean, yeah, a lot of it is, uh, I mean, a lot of it is just trial and error, man. Like, uh, I've learned a lot back in the day when I was shooting my three hundred windbag. I mean, I learned not to cant the rifle. I learned all that stuff. And a lot of times I wouldn't figure it out until, you know, I got this footage up on my computer and I'm going through it frame by frame. And actually, back in the day, when I first started out with that three hundred, I didn't even have a chronograph. I basically dialed the load in my most accurate load according to the load data. I should have been doing about twenty nine, twenty nine fifty from the muzzle. And just when I went out woodchuck hunting, you know, I was just shooting way. O- I was shooting over them, shooting over them every single time. And eventually, I just figured out, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna dial the scope a minute lower than what this ballistic calculator's calling for and sure enough I ended up connecting one right at 400 yards right after that another one right at 500 yards I'm like okay so I adjusted my calculator uh up to 3,000 feet per second and then after that that's when my videos really started like uh, that's when I started posting more long-range videos because I was just connecting shots left and right with that thing so I mean it's just it really is just trial and error, and that's, like I said, that's one of the reasons why we would chuck hunt with these big calibers is just so we know exactly where that's hitting at X distance, you know, so when we go to hunt deer or whatever it is, these bigger, you know, the bigger game, we know we can reliably put them down, so.
0: Are you using the same, like, let's say 300 Win Mag? and 7mm mag, are you going for the lighter range of bullets or once you've got it sort of dialed in for one bullet, do you just keep it the same? Because that's what I plan on doing with mine is, I mean, it's shooting good with the 143s. I mean, that'll be it for that rifle. One bullet for the rest of that barrel's life. I just keep shooting the same bullet. Do you go for the lighter bullets with varmints or do you just keep the bullet exactly the same for those heavy uh, calibre firearms?
1: Yeah, so I... I tend to stick once I find a bullet that works great for me, and I'm gonna pick a bullet, you know, for them bigger calibers if I plan on hunting deer with it. Like obviously, I'm not gonna run out and shoot them with a varmint bullet of some sort. Um, yeah, I tend to I tend to stick with the I I have my go to all around uh, load there. Usually for a 300 Win Mag, I've been I had been shooting the 178 Amax. I haven't had that gun out in a long time. They actually discontinued the AMAX bullets, but I bought enough of them to keep it running anyway. For the uh, seven mil mag, I like the one sixty two EldeX. That's been a great bullet for six five. I mean, I the six five. I have been experimenting with a lot more different bullets for it, but so far, I gotta say, man, that that game changer, the one thirty grain game changer from Sierra, has been really good for that. The 123 grain SST from Hornady has also been kind of my go-to bullet for the 6.5. So, yeah, I mean, once once you find something you really like, and that's that's one of my advices to some of these uh, up-and-coming hand loaders here, you know, once you find something that you know is good, I would say, you know, buy it out of stock if you can, you know, because eventually the prices are going to go up. You never know what the availability is going to be, you know, find something you like, stick with it. You know, eventually you're going to get really good at long range with it. So yeah, that's uh w- one of the difficulties I have as far as like the long range shooting and, you know, switching different calibers and stuff like that is eventually you lose track of, you know, what's shooting where and all, you know, this, that, and the other. So you know, for a lot of uh, a lot of guys out there, you know, they're only running one caliber. So I say, you know, master that caliber. Really know what it's doing.
0: Yeah, you're 100% right, 100% right. And you were talking before, it's interesting about the pricing of ammunition and products that really are starting to go through the roof at the moment. And I get a lot of people that message me and say, hey, man, like, listen, shooting is just getting really expensive now. And you were quoting prices prices for bullets before and they are going crazy i mean i just purchased i rang my guy the other day and i'm getting probably ten dollars a box cheaper than most people but the hornady the 143 grain eldx they're about 75 to 80 dollars per hundred here in australia and I just said, well, this rifle is shooting really well with these uh, 143 grain ELDX, so give me 500 of them. And he goes, 500, and I said, hang on, make it 1,000. I'm going to have these for the life of the rifle over, the, say, the next five five to six, seven, 10 years even. So, Yeah. But, but it's interesting. I mean, you think about that, $7, sorry, $70 per... Hundred rounds, ten boxes of a th- that's a thousand rounds. That's that's going to cost me. I mean, I'm I'm waiting to get the invoice now, but it's going to be seven hundred dollars for a thousand bullets. I mean, it's certainly shooting <laughs> shooting's not for the not for the not for the poor people, unfortunately, anymore. Which sucks because we should be trying to keep shooting as inclusive as possible. But I guess there's prices behind it. There's reasons why these things cost so much these days.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I heard you. I heard you talking about that on a previous podcast where you're going through some of the prices on, you know, on bullets, whatnot. Man, I I, I really do feel bad for you guys because like, it makes it hard for anybody who wants to like get into it. You know, they're trying to make it so much. You know, they're making it so expensive to even just shoot your gun that, you know, I think it does deter a lot of people from getting into it.
0: Yeah, man, you're 100 percent right. What about coming up for the future, man? Any new purchases coming up, or what have you got planned for the future in regards to the channel and uh, any more gun purchases, scope purchases, or anything to tell us?
1: Oh uh, well, it, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of an impulse buyer when I when I <laughs> when I look at firearms, <laughs> I, I kind of end up just I don't know. I I get attached to something. I see. I do a lot of research what I buy, and of course, I'll just start perusing and finding the best price on it and eventually, you know, it's like, you know what, I can afford that and I'm going to buy it. So, um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think from here on out with my channel, I'm I'm really trying to get the channel financially independent on its own because I just really can't afford myself to keep going out and buying all this stuff. I mean, I love doing it. Don't get me wrong. Otherwise I wouldn't be doing it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, there's, there's, there's just so much out there. Like, I'm willing to do videos on pretty much any firearm I come across, uh, any any new product. So, you know, anything like that, especially when it comes to a uh, hunting rifle or long range precision rifle, you know, like, I'm interested in it. Like, I, at the very least, I want to try it out. If I end up buying it myself, you know, it becomes a permanent cast member of my channel. So, like these, uh, you know, the Tikas, the Savage 110s. Uh, all that stuff you've seen on there so far, unless I state other, uh, unless I state that somebody else owns it, basically it's going to show up again on the channel because it, it's just uh, I, I think uh, to do an honest review too, you got to have prolonged experience with whatever particular
0: firearm. It's interesting you went mentioning before about you know impulse buying. Matt, you're in Elmira, New York. I'm in Sydney, Australia, and mate, when it comes to guns, it's universal, man. We all impulse bias when it becomes to guns, firearms, and gear. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter where you're from, man. It's universal.
1: Yeah, and no, I mean, my, my interests are kind of spread across the board. I mean, I really like utilitarian type of rifles. You know, that's like your Tikas, your Savages, uh, the CVA you know, they're, they're not like crazy expensive rifles by any means. Like I want to go out and thrash the hell out of them. You know what I mean? Like and not have to worry about it. Um, but I do like some of the classic rifles as well. You know, I'll, I'll buy them whenever I can afford them. And the, the last one I got there was that Mauser two thousand three hundred eight. I did one video on it. I mean, I'd like to do more with that gun for sure, but, that's just one of those guns. Like it's a, you know, it's a uh, Mauser made in West Germany back in 1970. And the thing is just in beautiful condition. One of the smoothest bolts I've ever ran for one Uh, beautiful bluing wood stock, you know, hand cut checkering. Like, you, uh, you know, like that's one of the, one of the things I have appreciation for, for sure. But yeah, there's a lot of, there's just so many great guns and stuff coming out on the market these days. Uh, As a content creator, you know, look, if I don't see people covering it so much, like I like to, you know, get a hold, at at the very least, get a hold of it and do something with it. But yeah, there's just so much, there's just so much cool stuff out there. But, uh, as of right now, you know, if I want something, I basically have to buy it, you know what I mean? So
0: so yeah, yeah that's man. how
1: that's basically how I end up with so many firearms
0: all right, mate well, tell us where we can um you know find chuck and t v tell us where are you on the social medias where can they go on YouTube to find you Tell us a bit more about that
1: so yeah, if you uh search and if you search chuckin on YouTube, it'll basically come right up as one of the first things uh we're also on Facebook. I do kind of like Facebook in a way. I don't like Facebook as a company, but uh I do like Facebook because there's just a lot of like different forums and stuff like that. So when I upload a video, I can share it to different groups. Uh, so that's been a pretty decent platform to find us on. Um, we're on Patreon now. So basically on Patreon, you know, you can support my channel. Uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be putting exclusive content here on Patreon uh, basically I do a lot of like write-ups and, uh, pre-planning for videos out there on Patreon. So, you know, any, any, any supporter on there can kind of chime in and really kind of, uh, help with the direction of the channel. So that's been a great thing. Our YouTube channel's definitely growing here in the last couple of years, especially I've been doing this for about six years now. And it took about oh, I want to say four years before I even got a thousand subscribers. And just these last couple of years, I'm up to three thousand now. So you know, we're a small channel. A lot of you probably haven't heard of us before, but we're hoping to grow. We're putting out a lot more content now. We're growing our audience. We're we're getting support from patrons. Yeah, it's just been it's been pretty cool. I, I'm definitely motivated to keep putting out videos, keep trying out new guns, and, uh, yeah, we'll just see how it goes here in the next few years.
0: Excellent, man. And I wanted to say, too, people always ask me, you know, what, who I support on Patreon, Eric. And so I support you guys on Patreon. I said I think I support uh, about five people. And um, I remember when I was watching a couple of your videos, and um, I end up sending him just so people listening to the show. I think it's going to be fantastic. I think it's going to just boost up the content as well, which is fantastic. But I end up sending... Uh, Eric, a microphone, because uh, one of his videos had too much wind, and I was like, "Nah, screw this man. <laughs> I'm sending him a mic. I'm sending him a microphone." So, uh, guys, you know, hopefully he's going to you know use. I think it arrived today or yesterday, Eric, which is fantastic. I only bought it for him a couple of days ago. Whilst it's not hugely expensive, um, I've got a couple of those myself, and I actually prefer them uh, over the Rode Video Micro, and they actually sound really, really good. So check him out on YouTube when he's going out filming. Now it's going to have the dead cat wind muff on top of his camera he's going to have pretty much next to no wind noise so which is bloody fantastic so mate i hope you use the product and you uh, enjoy it man And i'm glad to support you know financially not just on patreon but you know throw a few products people's way i mean this is money out of my pocket guys i didn't get this money from anyone it's my money i work hard for it full time and i thought mate eric can use a product that can again elevate that um, audio again to the next level so mate i'm happy to send you stuff and you know it cost me like 60 or 70 bucks strain out of my own pocket and I you know because I wanted to do it man so I hope you enjoy it dude
1: oh yeah dude I really appreciate it um definitely the audio and a lot of a lot of videos you know it, you get that onboard camera microphone you know like it, it's just a nightmare to, it's a nightmare to edit for one especially especially when you're trying to talk and you're trying to you know you're trying to get a point across it just sounds horrible so uh yeah definitely definitely really appreciate the the microphone you sent me for sure. Yeah, man. We'll be, uh, I'll definitely be playing with it here next day or so, making sure, you know, make sure I got it all, uh, figured out. And, well, yeah, man, I'm really glad to connect with you and everything. And I'm really, I really appreciate your support. You know, you, you, uh, hooked up with me here on Patreon and, you know, we started talking, you know, we talked on the phone there a couple weeks ago,
2: yeah, you know, great. I started
1: watching your content. You've been watching mine. Like it's, it's really cool to, you know, really expand the community like this, and you know, have an opportunity to talk about different things. So, uh, yeah, I'm really, I really appreciate you, and I really appreciate you having me on and everything. So,
2: are you looking to buy a new or used firearm? Do you want to sell that safe queen to fund your next purchase? Then go to osgunsales.com. We have over 200 registered firearms dealers, Australia-wide, and thousands of shooters using the site daily. There are over 2,500 firearms listed, so you're certain to find exactly what you're looking for. We have over 50 years of firearms industry experience, including 8 years online. So why wouldn't you advertise with us? The one and only genuine original
0: Ozguns. Eric, there's only one thing I need from you, one thing alone, only one thing. When you're making your next video, you just give my podcast a shout out when you're using your microphone. That's all I want from you.
1: Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got it, buddy. Yeah, you That's got it. That's all I want.
0: <laughs> you know? No. Oh, it's...
1: by the way, by the way, I do I put in an order for a t-shirt for you too. So, uh, I'll get with you once I get that and I'll figure out the you know, we'll figure out how to ship it out and all that stuff. So, but yeah, man, I really appreciate I really appreciate your support, uh, having me on for the podcast. I know I, it was a little bit rocky there at first <laughs> when we first started talking here.
0: Yeah, for, um, the, for the people that are listening, this happens but, all the time. I mean, you know, uh, Eric was a bit nervous at the start of the show, but this happens all the time. No, it's nothing new, and you know, uh, we we had to go through a few questions, but man, we once we're about ten minutes in, we were just hitting it like a freight train it was unbelievable so uh it's nothing new man everyone oh, yeah. ev- everybody gets nervous and it's like as soon as i press record everyone thinks oh no like there's people listening to them like it's just just two you know two guys two friends two mates talking to each other man so it's yep. just it's just part and parcel with uh you know doing podcasting and feel like you know sort of we're on a pedestal and we're like no like everyone just gets nervous so happens to everyone man
1: yeah yeah well you know when will when we post out uh, post a video out there, you know, it's all clean, cut and edited, but I mean, dude, you're you're a nervous wreck when you first start that video, you know, everything <laughs> starts rushing through your head. Like, okay, what is, you know, what am I gonna cover in this video? What all am I gonna say, you know? And so <laughs> I mean it's introducing a video is actually a lot harder than what people think it is. You know, like you might watch some of this content on YouTube and think, ah, you know what these guys are doing. It's easy. It's all easy stuff. But yeah, once you point point a camera at your own face and start talking, that's a whole nother ball game. Um, And then, and then on top of that, you know, you're, you're filming hunts. You're trying to, you're doing that with the pressure of that and trying to hunt at the same time, you know, like it's uh, even to this day, you know, I've been doing it for six years. I still get like a little bit worked up doing it.
0: I mean, I think you always get nervous, you know, it's just part and parcel, I think with I mean, can you believe like I mean, 20 years ago, me and you would have never connected because we pretty much we only just you know, the internet was only a very new thing. You know, podcasting wasn't even a thing at that time. I mean, YouTube wasn't even a thing. I don't think at that time. So I mean, people being able to connect now and all the things we can talk to and the ways we can connect from people overseas. It's just it's just fantastic, man. Hey, eh? like uh, it's opened up so many opportunities.
1: Yeah, I mean, dude, I'm I'm surprised we're even like talking on the phone right now, and we don't have to, like, there really isn't that much lag or anything. I can hear you clear as day, like everything works, you know. And one thing I will say about my channel too is I go into the analytics and everything, look at the demographics, and I want to say I don't know right off the top of my head, but I want to say about five to ten percent of my audience is all people from us. From Australia, so I mean that's awesome. Like who, you know, who would have thought that uh, a woodchuck hunting channel from New York, would, you know, would even gain a little bit of traction out in Australia, Europe, uh, Britain's another big one. Uh, some of those uh, Eastern European countries there, and I think a lot of that is because you know I cover Tika. I, I do quite a bit of content on Tika, which is a pretty popular brand. Through all those different countries and stuff, but yeah, it's cool how you know we we can build the international community on hunting and shooting and all that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, man, it's fantastic. Um, all right, well, Eric Waite joins me here on AHB from Chuckin' TV. Check him out on YouTube. You know, give him, throw him a bit of support glad to be able to support channels like yours man and i'm glad we were able to connect on the phone have a good chat you know hunting is universal enjoying the outdoors is universal enjoying guns is universal so i want to thank you for coming on the show man i do appreciate it thanks again
1: hey i appreciate you having me
0: you've been listening to an episode of the australian hunting podcast i hope you enjoyed it see you next time